Hello and welcome to Getting to Know the Garnet. I'm your host, Brandon Hodnett, and on this episode, I'm joined by Swarthmore College women's lacrosse head coach, Karen Borby. List of Karen's accomplishments as a player and a head coach are long, arguably one of the best to ever play the game collegiately. Karen was a three-time All-American and a three-time national champion at the University of Delaware. She still holds the record for most goals per game in a career. A member of multiple Hall of Fames, including the U.S. Lacrosse National Hall of Fame, Forby was named a Tawaratan legend in 2019. Since arriving at Swarthmore in 1990, she's coached four sports, soccer, basketball, field hockey, and women's lacrosse. Karen has won 253 games at the helm of the women's lacrosse team. Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to join me for today's interview. Thanks, Brandon. I want to go back. Let's go back to your career as a player at Delaware. Um, you accomplished what every player dreams of, winning that national championship, and you did it three times. What's that experience like to be at the pinnacle of your sport? You know, it's, um, it's such a great feeling because you're with your teammates and you are just so happy to be, you know, basically with your friends enjoying a moment like that. Um, I didn't go to college thinking that that was going to happen. And uh, I remember the first one, probably the most, because I was just so surprised that we were even there. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you're not thinking about something, it's a lot easier. You don't, you're not, you don't have that pressure. Um, so that one was such an enjoyable moment. And then the last one, which was the Division One national championship which the other two had been division twos before our school had moved up to division one um again that was just such a surprise because we it was our first year in division one and we were playing a whole different caliber of teams so again we weren't really expected it's it's, it's nice to be the underdog and then when you finally get to that that point and you you win it's just it's just amazing because you didn't feel that pressure you were just having fun the whole time so i really just enjoyed all of them but the first one and the third one were, um, you know, just a bit more enjoyable. And who were who were the opponents in those championship matches? Uh, the division three, um, division two. I'm sorry, division two ones. Uh, I believe are. Uh, it's funny. I'm not really even sure. Uh, we played at Penn State my freshman year. Mm -hmm. Kind of a festival experience. There were. Um, I think 16 teams from all three divisions, all at Penn State playing on different fields. Um, I know we played Lehigh. I know we played um, uh, Cortland. Um, I know I'm leaving somebody off, but uh, I'm not really sure. And then the second one was at Westchester. And uh, again, those are the schools that I remember um, the most. But Division uh, One was um, a really cool. Um, lead up. So in the quarterfinals, we beat Maryland at Maryland to get to the final four, which pretty much shocked everybody. And then we got to the final four. It was at um, Franklin Field at Penn, which was really oh, wow. cool. And um, Temple and Penn State were the schools that we, we ended up playing. I think we beat Penn State in the semis and Temple in the finals. I think that's the way it went. <laughs> that's a long time ago. How did you guys celebrate your national championships? Uh, well, we were, I think we just got back in a van and went back to school. I mean, yeah. 
all, all three we we took a van to even penn state vans um i do remember the third one being uh, a little bit more of a celebration because i uh, had lived with a bunch of my teammates so we had a house off campus so we could have a little bit more of a celebration at that point but i do remember it was a really fun a real fun party uh, i was right at the end of the semester and um, it was just again wonderful to celebrate with the people that you just um were having the most fun with your friends and your teammates so we made it back to the final four my senior year and at that time they had consolation games we lost in the semifinals to temple but we ended up playing the consolation game uh, i think it was against um I think it was UMass and we won. So we came in third. So okay. my four years, we, I was able to win my last game each year for four years. So that was really cool. Cause normally, you know, only one team walks off, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I was able to do that for four years. It was pretty fun. You were a prolific scorer. What, what made you such a threat on offense? Um, you know, I wasn't the fastest player um, or quickest player. But I think that I learned a lot from being a basketball player of how to, you know, uh, take advantage of space, create space. Um, you know, I used to, I used to tease um, my coach in college because every year she put me down as, a, as an attacker. And every year I ended up playing midfield. And that just showed you because I didn't have really midfield speed or um, even the endurance. But if a ball was on the ground and I, was going against somebody to try to get it. I just, I made sure I got it. So I think scoring has that mentality. You just have to be like, you know what, I'm going for it and I'm gonna make it happen. And um, I did a lot of uh, wall ball when I first started to play and just learning how to, to be accurate with your shots is, and being quirky with fakes and moves, I think was one of my strengths and one of the reasons I was able to score. Did you have a particular shot or a move that you uh, liked doing the most? Or? <laughs> I like the top right corner. That's where I yeah. like. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My, my, the goalie on my team knew it too. She's like, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. But I, I just had that muscle memory down that, uh, you know, I, I could hit that top right corner. And that's a tough one for a right-handed goalie. So yeah, uh, I think that helped a lot. Nice. <laughs> um, so in what ways has the game changed or evolved since you played? Oh, it's a completely different game. Uh, when I look back, there, there isn't much film of when I played, but there's a little. And when you look back, it, it was such a different game because it, it, the, the, the athletes that play today are so much stronger and uh, so much more physical. Uh, and the game is much more um, fragmented into different parts, you know, the attack and the, the defense in, a, in the restraining area and then the midfield transition, uh, both offensively and defensively. We were just playing back and forth. It was like a big, it was like a big basketball game, you know, the transition through was just as important as what was happening in both zones. And the phys physicality of the game was completely different. So. It was more of a finesse game, I would say, and now it's much more of an athletic game. Not that we weren't athletes, but it was much more of a finesse as far as the skills were concerned. So the game has really changed, a lot of new rules. I mean, we didn't have boundaries. We didn't have a, um, a restraining line. Um, and we didn't, there, there wasn't, you know, that, that's, there are, is now the um, movement, uh, you can, 
you know, self-start, mm. uh, subbing on the fly. I mean, all of these are major changes that have happened in the last, you know, t- five, 10 years. So the game is really different. It's yeah. very, very different. You mentioned kind of a specialization of positions. I know it seems like, um, you know, draw control specialists are starting to become more of a thing in, in the game. Is, is that is that correct? Are you saying? Yeah, no, draw control specialists, even sticks, like special sticks for draw mm-hmm. control or for offense versus defense, very much uh, specialized uh, position. Subbing on the fly allows you to have someone who is an attacker, but you can then take her out when you're on defense and you have constant changes um, throughout the game. That changes everything. When I played, you know, there were very few subs. I think we had 15 or 16 on the team um, and 12 play. So you can tell, like we people didn't come in and out of the game. You just mm-hmm. you just play. So now it's it's very much um, a lot more strategy with the spe- specialization, and um, let's uh, it's it's moving more and more towards the men's style of play. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the adding the shot clock just introduced the whole right. new frame. Yeah. changes the game tremendously. I mean, I, I have to tell you, over the years, it's been hard to keep adapting and changing Mm. but there are rules that i think uh, have made the game more fun to Mm. play um the shot clock is one of them um i wasn't sure how it was going to work out but you know there's nothing worse than when you're behind and the team decides they're going to stall and you can't get that ball and the field is so big and it's really difficult and so you just are running around chasing trying to you know get the ball back to have a chance Mm -hmm. to catch up with the shot clock you never have enough of a lead to, you know, let right. down, and then you're never far enough behind not to come back. So I, I do like that rule, uh, but it's changed the game. In what ways do you anticipate the game continuing to evolve over the next de- decade or so as far as safety or pace or whatever? Yeah, um, I do have some worries about that. I think we're getting to the point where it is so physical that um, if we're not careful and responsible as coaches, and as uh, and, we, and our umpires to, to really keep the game safe, that uh, the helmets could come in, and I really hope not, because um, that's one thing that's really, I think, special about our game. It's not supposed to be rough like the men's game, but it is getting more and more physical. So that could happen. Um, I do think that more and more moving to a game that's um, could be televised more often and more spectator friendly might take some of the players off the field and make it more of like a 10 on 10 or Mm. um, a little bit more um, open. So I'm not really sure what's next. Um, I just hope we stay where we are for a little while because I think we need to learn more about where we are right now. So many changes came in so fast Mm. that I think it, it kind of, um, it's a risk to our, um, you know, making sure our game is safe and true to, you know, what it's supposed to be, that we need to, we need to stay here for a while. Um, but uh, those are the two that I, um, I see coming in the long run. So we talked about a lot about changes. What are some things, what are some traditions that you've established as a head coach with your team, things that have just kind of stuck uh, in your time as a coach? Well, you know, I'm a big believer in, um, when a team is enjoying their experience and close and united and, and, and playing for each other, that you're going to 
do better. You're going to have more success. Plus, it's just more fun. So one of the things that um, I've always encouraged is how our team, what they call pump-ups, you know, um, getting their, themselves ready for the game. And I usually um, encourage lots and lots of interaction, either whether with, you know, one person that you pump up or taking turns to pump up the whole team. And that's always added some fun before the game starts. Even this year, I think the, the, the players, once we did our cheer, they all had handshakes. They had a partner and they just broke into their fun handshakes before they went out to the field. I think it just sets you into a position of, all right, let's go. This should be fun. This should be a lot of fun. And then the other one that I took from my experience was mental practice. Um, and we do that before every game. Um, right after we go over the scouting report and we're about to finish, um, I describe where they're going to be, if it's an away game, what color the opponent is going to be in, um, seeing themselves play. And then there's two ways to do it. And I always explain that you can either be in your own body, looking out your own eyes and visualizing it that way, or you can be like hovering over the game and seeing yourself play. But the most important part of it, and we only do it for about a minute, is that you have to see yourself play the perfect game. You do everything right. And it's just um, one of those traditions that I started because I did it and I felt like it really made, made a difference for me. And uh, now if I forget for some reason, the, the, the players are like, wait, wait, we didn't do our mental practice. Mm. So I do think they enjoy it. Um, and it's something we do every, before every game. Yeah, it's really important to, to visualize what you're going to do. Yeah, it's like when, you know, you watch Wimbledon and then you go out and your, your tennis game's a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always stay that way, but. Yeah. Um, are there any memorable moments or trips that, that stick out to you uh, from your time coaching? Oh, my gosh, there's so many. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we go on a spring break every year, uh, all but one. We didn't go one year. Um, and they're just so much fun because it's it's a chance after a long February of cold practices and and fragmented times and um, that we're all together it's warm and we have enough time to really you know do some fun things too I've just had so many wonderful experiences on spring break uh, that would probably be the the things that stand out to me and then you know of course all the bus rides there's so many fun bus rides. Uh, there's so many not so fun bus rides, mm. <laughs> but uh, the spring trips really, they do so much for our team to bring mm -hmm. us together, get off campus, um, you know, away from academics, away from, you know, coming from class, running from class, running to class, that we are able to really do some great team stuff and have some fun and, and really do a lot of work on lacrosse too. So. I know since I've been here, you've gone to Hilton Head and Clearwater. Are those your two that you've always done, or are there other yeah, ones? Not always. Um, yeah. We've kind of settled into those two lately, but we've been to Colorado Springs. We went to Colorado College twice. We went to San Antonio, San Antonio um, and played there. We went to um, Southern California uh, once. We used to play at a different place in Florida. So we have been some different places as well, but it's nice to have a place where you know where you're going and you know where you're going to stay, you know what the fields are like. Mm -hmm. You can just concentrate on the lacrosse and the, the fun part. Yeah. 
So um, looking back at the 2020 season, unfortunately ended during spring break. Now that we've kind of had some time, some distance from that, what was that experience really like for you and for the team? And like, how, how did everyone handle that situation? Well, it was just devastating to uh, the team and, and us as coaches too, because we just felt so bad for these student athletes because we had such a great group. Uh, this team, you know, we started off five and zero. they were really just starting to click. Um, our senior class was just so great and had really worked hard over their four years and really become great leaders. Um, I think, you know, they, they would have done really well, you know, if we had played a whole season, you know, statistically to put their names in the record book, to mm -hmm. get awards in the conference. Um, and to have all that taken away, uh, not even having the opportunity to see how it would play out, um, it's just so difficult. I, I, as a coach, you know, I'm removed from it. I had my chance to play. If I put myself in their shoes, I just, I don't know how I would handle it. You know, you, you've, you've worked so hard for this moment. But what, again, and this is not anything new, I'm so impressed with these young women because they handled it so well. They, they were so mature about it. They, they handled it with class. Uh, they realized it was, I mean, I talk all the time about there's things you can control and there's things you can't. And that's something I've always taught throughout my years as a coach. And you don't want to waste your time worrying about the things you can't control. You know, take care of the things you can. And this was a horrible way to look at that as a, as a life lesson because there was nothing they could do. No, it wasn't within our control. And the hard part was it happened gradually, you know. Um, you know, sometimes when you take the, the Band-Aid off fast, it doesn't mm -hmm. hurt as much. And so coming home, we really thought we were going to get another chance to play. We really thought we'd have a chance to honor the seniors. Even when they went home, we thought they were going to be able to come back and we would salvage some sort of the season. And then, you know, the, they just kept taking hit after hit. And, you know, the final one for the seniors was, you know, no graduation. And it, 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 was, it was tough. Um, but again, I give them so much credit. Uh, they, they just handled it. Um, it's such resilience. And not that that surprises me because I've been working with Swarthmore student athletes for 30 years, but in a case like this, it's, it's pretty impressive. You gave what I thought was really powerful advice when you um, accepted your Tuaretan Legends Award. Um, it's in your acceptance speech, um, basically you said that you would, you would tell your 21-year-old self that life's not gonna turn out as you planned, and they just have to get get back out there, learn, grow from those losses, from the setbacks. Uh, you know, in light of what we were just talking about and everything that's going on in the world today, um, you, do you think that advice is even more relevant today? Yeah, I mean, not that I would ever, you know, foresee this coming, but yes, it has even more uh, relevance now. Um, you know, when I tried to picture what I wanted to say to these ten. Um, athletes, lacrosse athletes that had just, just were at the top of their game and uh, so much success that they've had that, you know, what I wanted to, to get across to them was that if I could go back and someone could give me some advice about how life was going to go, I would have liked to know that it wasn't going to go the way I had set it all up in my head. And Honestly, that's the best part of life is that it didn't turn out that way. You know, 
there constantly are challenges and you have to overcome them and you learn so much from them and you grow so much as a person and things happen in your life that you don't anticipate and sometimes they're the best things that could happen and yet some of the worst things that can happen you know lead up to those best things that can happen and uh so that's what i would have liked to know known when i was 21 so i was trying to figure out how you know, if you're going to talk and you want somebody to listen, you want to say something worthwhile. So I really put a lot of thought into that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if I was talking to myself, what would I want to know? And um, that's exactly what I would have wanted to know. And then you talk about a pandemic. I mean, who saw that coming? And you talk about the, the, the struggles they have right now, just finding out what's happening next year and the year after that. And, you know, eligibility and coming back and all these decisions. No one saw that coming. Um, so you can't have a plan. And if that plan doesn't work, you're devastated. You have to be able to figure it out as you go and take the bad things and make good things out of them. Cup half full, you know, that type, yeah. of, type of attitude. Yeah. What are some ways, you know, with all this uncertainty and everything, what are some ways that your team, your recruits, what are some things that they can do to continue to train safely? What are some practical things that, you know, that they're doing now or that you're advising them to, to do? Yeah, it's hard because they're all in different places with mm -hmm. different, you know, um, uh, equipment or opportunities or spaces. Um, they're, they're, the upperclassmen are, are really good at maintaining their, their fitness. They've learned really well from our strength and conditioning coaches how to, to really train um, the right way and safely. The first years that are coming in, it's a little different. They haven't had that yet. Um, my advice over the summer always has been, you know, put your stick down for a little bit, take a break, stay fit. And you can stay fit in so many ways. And I think the most important thing about being ready for a season is not to get ready too soon. You know, you have to do it gradually. Mm -hmm. And since we're a spring sport, I've always been an advocate of um, building towards that gradually. So having a base fitness level, I think, is the most important thing to do right now and what I'm trying to, you know, make sure that this, this, the, the team is doing, but there's so many different ways to do that. And I want them to have variety and I want them to enjoy it. And I don't want them to burn out too fast. So that base level is what we are, you know, concentrating on. And then based on what happens in the fall and what happens in the spring, we might have to get more specific as we, you know, come towards the season. But right now it's, it's base fitness, just stay fit. Um, you know, if you want to pick up your stick, have, have a catch, get on the wall. But right now it's just, you know, basic fitness. But the team is really great. They, they um, keep each other accountable. They have small groups that talk to each other. They have full team Zooms. Um, you know, they help each other. Um, you know, when someone's feeling like they, they just don't want to work out, they have someone they can call and, and helps them to, um, to motivate themselves through their team. So um, I like the way they do that. They take, um, they take uh, the initiative with that and uh, I think it works really well. All right, so shifting gears a bit, what's something fun about you that most people don't know? <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's the whole Bruce Springsteen thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, my family and friends would say that I'm a Bruce Springsteen nut 
And um, I guess I am. I've been to probably close to 60 concerts in my life. And I would have been at many more if I could have afforded them <laughs> back when I was young. But um, I just get a, just there's something happens to me when I when I hear the band. It's not just, you know, Bruce Springsteen, it's the whole E Street band. And it takes me to a really great place. I think I grew up my life sort of paralleled uh, his and, and the band and the music and the songs and the, the words and, and they mean a lot to me. And uh, so, yeah, I get teased a lot for that. Um, I know some other people just like me, so we chat a lot, but um, that's something that's very unique. Um, I guess another thing was that, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to, I didn't intend to play lacrosse in, mm. in college. So I love basketball. Um, I'm a big basketball fan, so um, something that I really enjoy, which didn't happen this year, you know, March Madness, and I really enjoy all different levels of watching basketball. I just, um, I find it just so um, uh, intriguing to watch the coaches and see what their strategies are and uh, try to parallel them to what we do in lacrosse, so um, I have a lot of fun doing that. Well what else I do that's fun but uh, I'm a mom <laughs> that's fun <laughs> we've got two grown kids and uh it's fun it's fun having two adult children you know we, you know we're, we can all you know do a lot more together and uh I'm really enjoying that good that's good so um you mentioned the Bruce Springsteen stuff and so we have some Bruce Springsteen trivia for you oh boy now we'll see, see. Put yeah. you to the test here. Okay. And I think you're going to ace this. All right. First question. In what year did Bruce Springsteen perform at Swarthmore? Ah, well, I think it, I don't know the year. It was in the 70s and mm. it was in the amphitheater. So those two things I do know. 76, I would guess. It was uh, April of 1974. Okay. That was close. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do you know where it was and, um, you know, the amphitheater, every time I go to the amphitheater, I picture it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was only 12, right. so I wasn't there, so. Okay. <laughs> um, second question, what was the first song that Springsteen learned to play on his guitar? Oh, that's a tough one. I can give you a hint if you need it. What's the hint? Uh, the, hint was, the hint is that it's a Beatles song. Oh. I'm gonna guess let it be, but I don't know. Hmm. Well, according to what I read online, it was Twist and Shout. Oh, okay, he plays that at every concert, it's his last song at every concert, so that makes sense now. Which New Jersey University is home to the Bruce Springsteen archives? Monmouth College, yeah. Monmouth University, yes. Yeah. Correct. And last but not least, did you know that Bruce Springsteen was immortalized as a Muppet on Sesame Street? What was the name of that Muppet? You know, I had no idea. I want to go look it up now. Is it on YouTube? Sure it is, yeah. I, I don't know. Tell me. I, I didn't know that. The, they called him Bruce Stringbean. Oh, that I love it. Yeah. I love it. All right, I got I to gotta look that up. That, that, yeah. that makes me like him even more. Anybody that can be a Muppet yeah. has to be a good person. Yeah. All right, Karen, any final thoughts as we wrap up this interview? Anything you want to share? before we go? Uh, 
I guess that I would say that, you know, I've been one of the, the luckiest um, people. I'm doing something that I love every day. I'm doing it at a place that I just have these amazing student athletes to work, work with every day. They, they just, they never, never stop amazing me. And I feel very fortunate. I feel very privileged to do that. And uh, having, uh, actually not having that for this amount of time has made me realize even more, mm. you know, how much I love what I do. And this is my 30th year at Swarthmore. And uh, it's just flown by. I just can't believe it. You know, I've coached four different sports, just so many amazing student athletes that I've had the privilege to work with. And, and you know, coaches, um, our department and people on campus getting to know people on, in the Swarthmore community. So. I'm just feeling like I, I hit the jackpot. Karen, thank you so much for joining us on Getting to Know the Garnet, and uh, hope to see you soon. All right, thanks, Brandon. In the USA, you know.